Please join me in our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. Stories of faith that connect us. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut or Colorado, the United States or Europe or anywhere in the world. So how many of you have a younger brother or sister? Okay. So this is a question that's going to be easier for you do too? No, not quite. Some, not, maybe not yet. I don't know. <laughs> but this is going to be a question that I think you might be able to answer. So when your younger brother or sister was born, or maybe you know this from your life after you were born, maybe your family tells you stories about who came to visit you. Does anybody know who came to visit it's not a trick question. So just think about it. Who do you think came to see you as a new baby? Jesus. Wow, you got deep real fast. <laughs> I do think Jesus was there. But I was thinking maybe like your grandma and grandpa. Maybe your neighbors. Maybe your aunts and uncles or friends. Do you have an answer? Yeah, you're pretty sure your grandma and grandpa came? Yeah. I mean, that makes sense, right? People come. They want to celebrate that you're alive, that you came into the world. And so usually people that we see at holidays are the kind of people that would come and welcome you and say, yay. And sometimes they bring gifts, what kind of gifts do you think you would bring to a newborn baby? Yeah. Clothes. Yeah. What else? Diapers. Again, very practical. What else? Toys. What else? Hmm. I think you might bring something for everybody to eat. Yeah, so people might bring some food. Yeah. They brought you a train? Wow, that's fun. A whole set? Probably took you a while to learn how to put that together. Yeah. Well, today we're going to hear a Bible story about people that went to visit Jesus when Jesus was very young. And they brought gifts. There were three people in the story, we're told. And they brought three very unusual gifts. Not one of them was mentioned this morning. So let's listen to the story, and it's going to be read to us by um, Mr. Matt, by Chloe and Dawson's dad. Let's listen. The scripture this morning is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. 
When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then, he, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thank you. Thank you. There's lots of ways to tell the story, and there's lots of versions to the story as well, aren't there? The story that Matt read talked about Magi. The song that the girls just played was about kings. In either case, though, it has to do with authority. And for the wise ones, their authority came from their sense of knowing that takes into consideration multiple realities. In the biblical meaning, uh, the wise ones included the ability to foresee the future. And it included not just men, but also women, and not just adults, but children and youth as well, with the capacity for wisdom. And these magi, these wise ones, recognized a new star that announced a birth. You really have to look closely to recognize a new star. John Rosticus sent out some statistics just yesterday from the Astronomical League that says that in 2018, 150 billion stars formed in the visible universe. In other words, 150 billion newly visible points of light. Did you notice? I didn't either. So these wise ones were drawn to this one star, we're told. They were looking for a new king. They were looking for a different source of authority than what had existed. They saw this sign, but they weren't sure of the location. And so they went asking in the current king's neighborhood. Wasn't such a great idea, actually. They did get the answer of where to go, but it raised a lot of fear and anxiety among the king and among the people that live there, because if you have a nervous king, you have a nervous neighborhood. Funny how that's contagious. But they found out the location, and they set out. And the star led them along the way. And they went with gifts, as you've already heard, and as our children have seen. But 
these gifts were not very practical. And this is a good reminder of how our stories have layers, layers of meaning and layers of interpretation. We know that something else was happening here. So the first gift we're told was gold, some type of currency. In a word, it's wealth. The second gift was frankincense. And this is something that was used in the temple. And so maybe in a word we can call that worship. And the third one was myrrh, which is also connected to the temple. And it's used for burial ointment. Taking all that into account, perhaps that gift is one that causes us or invites us to consider our worth. Recognizing that life is limited. Life as we know it is limited. That gift invites us to consider our worth. So these wise ones went with wealth, worship, and worth, all in wise perspective. And they went into the house. This is not a stable scene. You'll notice that the manger and the trees are in the background today. This day is about a star and a house. And what they found with wealth, worship, and worth in wise perspective is not the venerable, but the vulnerable. What they found was not triumph. They found tenderness. And they returned by a different way. They were told to report back. Remember that part of the story? Report back to the king. Let him know the exact location. Having witnessed and experienced and been present to the vulnerable and tenderness, they decided to answer to a different authority. And they went a different route back. As a student, I wasn't very good in a lot of subjects. But one thing that really caught my imagination, one thing that I really loved, was the study of the origin of words. It's called etymology. And I remember doing an assignment that was really long. And I just kept going and going and going, which, trust me, is really not typical for me. But I made my way through that list just amazed at where words came from and what they meant. And so I did this with the word Bethlehem. The first part, Beth, which is pronounced Bet in Hebrew, means house. The second part, Lehem, is often defined as bread. But actually, there are two meanings, two very different meanings for that word. The first one, which is one that might surprise you, is to make war. The second one is to use as food. So it sets up this strange dichotomy of 
annihilate or nourish? A house of skirmish or a house of shelter? Is Bethlehem a house of bread or a house of battle? And we see this set up with the two different kings that are mentioned or the two different parts of authority, the magi or the existing king that got nervous and fearful or the three kings in that other version versus that one king. Bread or battle? Life-sustaining and life-affirming or struggling and striving? The child that the Magi saw was not a soldier. He was a shepherd. It was a house of bread. And it was that shepherd who later taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. It's worth considering which authority is ruling your life. And it might depend upon the circumstances what the answer is. Parker Palmer, at year's end, offers reflection questions for us. He says, what do you want to let go of in the new year? The second question is, what do you want to give yourself to? The story of the wise ones is about that second question. What do you want to give yourselves to? In other words, which authority do you offer your wealth, worship, and worth to? In your bulletin this morning, you see that there is an image of a labyrinth. Folks responded so well to Jane Ellen's three-minute meditation. I wanted to remind you, for some of you, this is a very familiar image. For others, it's new. I wanted to remind you of this spiritual practice. It's one that you can do with your finger. You can also do it walking. But labyrinths have been around for more than 4,000 years. It's a circuitous way to the center. It is not a maze. There are no dead ends or tricks. There's one way in and there's one way out. It's a purposeful path from the edge to the center and back out again. Consider the center that moment when the Magi entered the house and were in the presence of the vulnerable and the tender. Consider how, as you trace it with your finger or walk it, how there are times when you feel so close to that center and others when you feel so far away. But once you're on the path, you're always on the path. This spiritual practice is meant to awaken us to the light that comes from within. And it is that light that comes from within that allows us to recognize the light that is 
outside and beyond us. The labyrinth symbolically represents the pilgrimage to the Holy Land. It's not a hike. It's a journey. But I would say before we can go to Jerusalem, we need to go to Bethlehem. Jerusalem is the city at the center, the place envisioned where there would be peace among all people and all would worship the one God, even though that one God would have many names. I think we need to go to Bethlehem first so that we can recognize that God and that authority. The labyrinth also represents our journey to community, perhaps the journey that led you here. And in community, we journey to the table where we come face to face with the essence of life, where we come face to face with the one who made room for us, for each and for all at the table, the one whose birth and life reminds us that we are beloved and worthy the one whose birth and life enjoins us to give ourselves, to give our gifts to the works of love, compassion, and mercy, to be creators of justice and joy. So as we continue our worship this morning, I invite you to allow your finger to trace the labyrinth, allow the Spirit to speak to you, both in that exercise and in coming forward as we prepare now to journey together to the table. Our light has indeed come. And so as you go into the world, prepare to show others the light that you know here. Do it trusting in the spirit of a God who showed wise people the way and continues to show them the way today walking beside them and behind them, in front of them, and even under and through them as that breath we took. Go in peace. Mm -hmm. 